It seems like it's been 40 weeks since you got 40 winks. Your back pain? Unbearable. Tossing, turning, trying to find that pain-free position. And that's the moment you realize you can't spend another waking moment putting off treatment. The Joint and Spine Center is Cincinnati's leading destination for spine care with a ton of surgical and non-surgical treatments for back pain. So when a moment has the power to change the rest of your life, go to the one place with the power to change it for the better, the Christ Hospital Health Network. This changes everything. The Pound This Podcast is brought to you by the Christ Hospital Health Network. This is the Pound This Podcast, episode 567, in case you missed it, tween week, Dr. Ashley Solomon on Body Image. I want to lose weight, but I don't know how to get started. What should I meal prep every week? How do I get those sweet booty gains? Inspiration for your healthy lifestyle. The Pound This Podcast with Amanda Valentine. Thank you so much for listening to the Pound This Podcast. I'm Amanda Valentine, and this is an In Case You Missed It episode. So this is a replay from last year where I did a series called Tween Week, where it was a week talking to tweens about various topics that they chose that they wanted to talk about. And this episode goes in tandem with the one previous to this. So if you're just listening to this episode with Dr. Ashley Solomon, I would recommend that you would go back to episode 566 and listen to the girls talk about body image. And this is paired with that where Dr. Ashley Solomon talks about some of the things these girls said, also some advice for parents, advice for young girls. If you want to go listen to the entire tween week, those are episodes 368 through 375. And those aired um, around this time last year. think that they're really important episodes to listen to, given these tweens a voice to talk about things they find important to them and a conversation that I feel like we should be having. So if uh, you want to go check all those episodes out, that's where you'll find them. And here we go. Let's get into the replay episode with Dr. Ashley Solomon. My guest is Dr. Ashley Solomon, a clinical psychologist. And um, I had you listen to the podcast that I did with the two little girls about their body image. And I wanted to have an expert speak to kind of what you thought about that, give some advice for kids, some advice for parents. So since since you are my my expert, if you could tell me, tell me what you do, tell me your background, how you work with kids and parents, et cetera. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. And I was really honored to have a chance to listen to what, what these girls shared. They were super honest and vulnerable. And I think really spoke to a lot of what so many young people experience, you know, in our culture. So my focus and background has been in working with people with eating related challenges in their life um, and body image issues. So that's really what I've done for my whole career as a psychologist. And I um, have an organization called Gallia Collaborative that I founded that is really dedicated to working with girls and women in particular to help them really restore their power is, is what I often say. And I think that food and body related issues are such strong drainers of power, uh, specifically for women and girls in our society. So these issues come up all the time. And I work with a lot of a lot of people with eating disorders and a lot of teenagers and their families in particular in kind of helping them navigate that process. So whenever you're listening to 
you know, these girls who are 10 and 11 mm-hmm. talking about how they view themselves and, and their kind of their, their place in the world. I mean, what were your initial feelings? Is it, I'm sure it's very familiar yeah. to what you hear every day. It's super familiar and it never ceases to be heartbreaking, to be honest. Um, you know, we were talking a little bit before we started about how, Honestly, how relatable, just as a woman in our society, as women in our society, so much of what they shared was. I mean, that that pain of insecurity, that focus on, I mean, and the fear around what the way that other people are perceiving them. Mm-hmm. So it was, I mean, despite hearing these themes all the time, it's, it's never easy to hear how much sort of pain, uh, especially these young people are walking around with on a daily basis and how they, and kind of frighteningly how they can turn that on themselves into these really potentially unhealthy behaviors that can do a lot of damage. Well, we were also discussing before we started recording that these are feelings that we have both felt ourselves. Yes. Yep. I mean, especially as, you know, that being that age, I can clearly remember being that age and feeling and thinking exactly those same things that those girls were saying totally. and worse. Right, right. <laughs> you know, of like, wow, just I'm I'm 37 years old mm-hmm. and I'm still battling body image issues and how how I talk to myself and how I view mm-hmm. myself and to be like, wow, it's been going on this long that that conversation right. with myself started right. at, at 10 years old. So, I mean, when you're that young and you're you're feeling those sorts of things, I mean, is there a way to really kind of get started off on the right foot? So mm-hmm. you're not 37 years old and still feeling these sorts of things about yourself. Is there mm-hmm. is there a conversation you can have with yourself right now at 10, 11, 12, 13, 14 that yeah. can really put you on the path of having great body confidence. Yeah. Yeah. That's so important. I, um, yeah, like we were talking about, it's, it's painful to remember how, how isolating a lot of those feelings were at that time. And so I think that, I mean, that, that's one piece right there is that what I loved about what these, these girls shared was that, well, I love the fact that they shared, first of all, yeah. and that they had this like strong desire to put this message out into the world. They're so brave. They're, they're awesome. so brave. And there's so many ways, even without going on a podcast, to to do that and to share that more openly. That's actually one of the things that I feel so excited and um, kind of pumped up about our current uh, kind of adolescent teenage population because, I mean, we have a lot of research to show that these are are kids that are more receptive to to mental health treatment, to um, thinking about their mental health, to talking with each other about problems than any generation in history. So I think that there's a lot to be kind of excited about in terms of we know that connection is so powerful. And so, you know, to those 10, 11 year olds, I mean, even younger. I mean, I remember the starting for me in like first grade. Yeah. Um, having such negative perceptions of my body. And um, but to these young people, I think one of the most powerful things to do is just to to talk about it. Well even that's even if it's just with peers um, as a place to start, because I think that honestly the worst thing that can happen is to feel so alone mm-hmm. and to feel like you are so abnormal or different. And yeah. I love that um, the two girls on the show were able to, like, 
confide in each other and shared that experience as painful as it was and they could sort of build each other up too. I think the other thing is recognizing and I mean I think as adults we would like to recognize that there's so many qualities and aspects to ourselves you know outside of our physical appearance but you know recognizing that especially at that age and at you know the vulnerable time of adolescence where pre-adolescence even that there's almost nothing more important in the world than acceptance Mm -hmm. and connection with people so anything that feels like it's going to threaten that like not sort of fitting into some standard um, physically or things like that is going to feel like the absolute focus so it's hard it's hard to break through that because that I mean, partly we're wired that way. We're wired in adolescence to start caring so much about what other people perceive of us. But I think that to those kids, especially if they're listening, I mean, I would say that remembering that there are so many aspects of yourself that are so much honestly more interesting and important than the way that you appear to the world You know, whether that's, you know, how creative you are or what your interests are, what your values are, things you like to do. And really working to kind of cultivate those things is going to be so much more powerful than investing in, you know, the way that I look in this moment. Mm -hmm. Because, too, inevitably during that time, I mean, our bodies are going to shift and change no matter what we do. You know, it's part of adolescence that we expect weight gain, for example. And so if we're so invested in, you know, staying at a particular weight or kind of restricting what we're eating, I mean, we're working against our biology at that point, too. I mean, honestly, same same thing for women who are going through, um, you know, midlife. Like, our bodies are naturally designed to, like, change and evolve, and we'd like to think that they're going to stay, like, a particular way if we can just sort of control them enough. And it's just not going to happen. So we're setting ourselves up for a lot of frustration. Well, I think it's, you know, to your point of focusing on the things other than weight, taking myself back to that age, you know, if I could and talk Mm -hmm. to myself, which don't we all wish we could do that and give ourselves some advice, that I can remember clearly, like, in third grade, I was, you know, for show and tell, I did these funny skits and I was like, Mm -hmm. I loved making people laugh and being funny. And then for some reason, like there was this switch that flipped and I became extremely quiet and shy and didn't Mm -hmm. do that anymore. And and then I just focused on I'm so fat and ugly and I I want boys to pay attention to me and they don't. And Mm -hmm. it's I never focused on hey, you're funny. You can make a whole room laugh. You can do these cool things. That completely went away. And I never focused on that. All I did was focus on everything I thought was wrong with me and Mm -hmm. my body and the way that I looked. So I I think that, you know, if I had a time machine and I could go back Mm -hmm. and really appreciate that about myself, Mm -hmm. I think it would have dug me out of this hole so much quicker and really put me on a better path than to just focus on what I look like on the outside rather than focus on who I am as a person, what I have to offer. Right. And I don't know if you had this in your life, but I think it it is really powerful if there are people who are recognizing that and like cultivating that, you know, even when you are, you know, you're the third grader starting to focus more on other things and having people that can help 
kind of reshift your focus back to like, this is an amazing thing about you. Mm -hmm. You are like, you are so gifted in this. I want to like help you cultivate it and help you, you know, show the world what an amazing person you are, I think is so powerful. But for lots of reasons, you know, lots of kids don't have that experience or, um, and they're not talking about it. And so, you know, it's easy to like fly under the radar with like how that's, how much that's affecting them. Well, so another kind of wrench thrown into the equation now, mm-hmm. talking about in, in 2019, is we have social media. Mm-hmm. That's a part of it. Of So now it's not only the kids in the classroom in the neighborhood, it's you're putting yourself on the whole internet. And I know the, the girls in the, the conversation that I had with them, that they they kind of had their own little argument about social media. And they mm-hmm. weren't fully fledged. They didn't have phones yet, and they weren't on social media, which right. I know isn't true of every 10- and 11-year-old. Right. And so how do, if you, you know, if you're that age, mm-hmm. how do you come at social media? Right. Yeah. It's, it's so fraught. <laughs> um, it's such a landmine, honestly. And I think that that's why... And I, and I know for some parents listening, you might be feeling like, you know, well, we're beyond that. We're beyond the the idea of, like, not letting my kid have a phone. They've had mm-hmm. one, um, all of that. But I will just say as a, you know, a broader comment that the longer that you can delay that, the better. Um, I think we all know that to some degree. But, I mean, the reason for that is that, I mean, these skills, these mental skills that it takes to be able to, like, filter out, like, what's truth and what's fiction and, you know, how it's hard to do that as an adult. Me. <laughs> right. I mean, those aren't really <laughs> – I mean, our brains aren't even fully formed until they're 20, you know, 26, 27 years old. So when you think about that and you're, you're putting this, like, insane tool in the hands of, you know, a, a young kid that's just so powerful in the way that it can affect them and, and their effect on other people – you know, it's our our culture has a lot of work to do around that and how we kind of relate to that. But, you know, despite our best efforts, kids are obviously connected to social mm-hmm. media and it's a big part of their culture and the way that they relate to each other. I think actually my my dissertation research many years ago was on was going into schools and teaching girls about how to to have media literacy, so understanding the way that they're, like, taking in media and more critically kind of evaluating it. Mm-hmm. At that time, it was pre – not totally pre-social media, but it wasn't what we it was today. Like MySpace Friendster. <laughs> right, yeah, right. So, I mean, we were honestly talking more about, um, you know, movies and magazine ads. and But the same concepts really still apply about there are things that parents, educators can – can teach kids and that kids can be utilizing themselves in terms of um, just taking more of a critical view of what they're digesting and what they're taking in. And also to recognize, I think so many of us, again, adults included, like we forget that there's like an unsubscribe button or an unfriend button. And like we just sort of subject ourselves to things that like make us feel like garbage over mm-hmm. and over again without thinking about the fact that that you know no one's forcing us to to take that in on a daily basis and how is that impacting my you know the way that I'm looking at myself and so then when i think about kids in particular there can feel like there's there's social implications to that like if i don't you know, if I defriend this person or I'm not following them, will I be able to, like, stay up to date with, like, what other people are talking about? Yeah. And um, 
And part of that goes back to, I, I think in terms of addressing that, is going back to like kids finding, like finding their tribe too. Thinking about who do I connect with in real life and what are the values that we share and are those, you know, my close friends, like thinking about these two girls um, doing the podcast, like is is my closest friend um, or somebody that I trust really going to judge me for that? And if, you know, the answer is no, then that, like, that should have more importance than the perception of, you know, some stranger online or someone yeah. you barely know. But, again, it's a hard time. It's a hard time because we're wired to be really cognizant of what everyone else is thinking. So limits are really helpful. I mean, even self-imposed limits um, for kids to recognize, like, how much time am I really spending online well, your phone will tell you that. Yeah, I'm afraid your phone to look at will that. tell you, and you can limit it, and you can set up, you know, if you're noticing, like, wow, like, I'm not getting other stuff done, or I've stopped, like, having time for other things I enjoy, like, you know, you can, you can like, put self-imposed limits on, mm-hmm. like, having the app turn off automatically, yeah. or Instagram shut down, or whatever, send you a notification, so you don't have to rely, or I mean, obviously, as most of us know now, like social media, gaming, all of that is designed around being very addictive. You know, it's designed to like reinforce the parts of our brains or make the parts of our brains light up that same as in any other sort of addictive process where, you know, we are compelled to like keep going and not stopping. So we sort of have to have external things to remind us like, hey, there's this big world out there. Yeah. And this isn't everything. Well, I think you brought up such a great point, too. And I think this is very truthful for adults of pay attention to what you're following and how it makes you feel. Mm-hmm. If you get into a comparison game trap or how come I don't look like that or how come I don't have that and I should be this way because they are and, you know, I'm older than them and I should have been at this point already. Any of that stuff, I feel mm-hmm. like, again, like you said, unfollow no matter what age you are because right. – that's not inspiring you at that point. That's not a motivator. That's right. making you feel like garbage and you don't need that in your life. And I think that right. when you're – it's so easy to mindlessly scroll and just have those feelings and not really address it or think right. about it. But if you do that and then just clean house and mm-hmm. unfollow – I mean, half of those people that I feel like make you feel that way, you mm-hmm. don't know anyway. Right. And it's so amazing. get rid of them. <laughs> right. Sometimes I talk to people about kind of recognizing the difference between – like helpful and unhelpful envy because we tend to like think about envy as just like one emotion but really you can kind of think about it as there's the type of envy that just makes you feel like crap about yourself and Mm -hmm. you know become more demoralized or demotivated and then there's the kind of envy where it's like this person has accomplished things that I are really inspiring and I want to, you know, I want to learn from them and it can be actually very motivating. And so even kind of like recognizing the difference in your social media feed of like, if you're feeling that sense of like, oh, I wish I had what they have. There's even a, a, a nuance in there of like, but then does that make you feel like less like trying or more like trying? Yeah. And is it a healthy thing that you are you know, aspiring to? Um, Is it achievable for you? Is it realistic? Is it based in your values? All of those are good questions to kind of ask. So is that a realistic conversation that parents can have with kids, though? 
Yeah, I mean, I think potentially in 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 their language, I think that they they certainly understand like what it means to you know look at other people and wish that they had certain things that they that you know other people might have. And I think one of like the conversation can go towards like what is it about X person that makes you feel that sense of jealousy or envy. And sometimes I think we think that it might be the way that they look or the way that they, um, you know, that the attention that they're getting. And I go back to what I was saying earlier about if we can kind of engage them in a conversation, oftentimes it can get down or deep enough to the level of like, yeah, you really want to feel accepted. You want to feel connected to people. You want to feel like you have people that you like trust and support you. Like, how do we help you feel more of that versus how do we help you lose weight to yeah. be a certain size because you think that that's what's going to lead to more connection and acceptance. So since you bring that up, so yeah. how do parents cross that bridge with, um, you know, like talking about just like losing weight or even with the girls in the podcast, you brought up mm-hmm. the fear of getting diabetes mm-hmm. of, you know, if that if your child is having, you know, a health issue or a weight issue yeah. or, you, or, you know, a body image issue, like how do you what's the best plan of attack to yeah. talk to them about it and make them feel better? Yeah. Oh, there's so much there. Um, I think. I always say that the very first thing I think as, you know, parents or caregivers that we have to recognize is noticing where our urge to step in is coming from. Because if it's coming from, for many of us, I think it comes from a place of fear on our own parts because maybe we've experienced, we've struggled with weight and felt like we've battled against it our whole lives and we want to spare our kids from that experience. Or we have, doctor has said something to us, you know, the pediatrician has said something to us about, you know, worrying about our kids' weight or what it's doing. And so I think we have to look hard before we engage in any kind of um conversation or trying to do something different with our kids and looking at like what's inspiring my my urge here am I feeling kind of triggered by my own experiences and maybe even like trauma around some of these issues um is the the fear about like what the health outcomes could be really legitimate so once we you know I've gotten a little bit more clarity on that I think that you know, we can come from a more neutral place where we're not kind of projecting all of our own stuff on our kids, um, which is super important. And I think that one of one of the things we know is that it's almost never helpful. I mean, we know this from research, certainly experience, but there's been some good research to tell us that it's it's almost never helpful to talk to kids directly about weight. You know, one of the things I often share is that the American Pediatric Association actually like issued guidelines a year or two ago saying like doctors should not be talking to kids about weight loss because not only is it ineffective in helping them lose weight, but it's actually more harmful and it can cause things like eating disorders, low self-esteem. And we're not actually in doing that, like giving kids the tools to 
be healthier or to mm-hmm. feel like they didn't even know what to do to like feel better about themselves or to be healthy. So I I recommend not talking to kids directly about weight, first of all. Even if as a parent you might be feeling concerned about that, thinking more about things like how do I support my kids in getting more physical activity and doing the things that they love and feeling accepted and feeling loved. Those things have a much higher correlation to health outcomes than even weight does. If we can, you know, address, especially I know one of the girls on the podcast was talking about her anxiety. And if we can help to address some of these like underlying feelings and mental health issues, these kids are going to be a lot healthier, feel better about themselves, then be more likely to make good choices for themselves in their life, um, be more active, be more engaged, and like with friends and things like that, that's going to have a, a much more powerful impact on their long-term health. So if we want to have a conversation with you know our kids about how they're feeling, I think we have to first recognize that most kids are not going to open up to us the first time (laughs) you know they're gonna say oh I'm so glad you asked I've been wanting to share all of this for so long um but I will say that even putting it out there that you are open and this is something you want you recognize and want to talk about may not be the first time but it opens a door for a conversation and the other thing I say is that you sharing some of your own imperfections insecurities like that modeling that like it's it's safe and welcome to talk about feelings or not feeling good enough or rejection like in our family and in our house is sometimes a lot more powerful than like asking directly like tell me how you feel about your body what's going on yeah how are people treating you but I guess I I want to interject there for a second I I would imagine part of that by having sharing your own insecurities wouldn't be like Oh, I look so fat in these jeans. Yeah, really good, really good point. Yeah. <laughs> really good point. Um, I think that really, I mean, honestly, I really talk to parents about trying to avoid any kind of, you know, weight-based comments about self because that's just that like little, you know, our in that becomes our kids' internal voices. Like I have my mom's, inter- you know, my mom's yeah. voice cer- certainly in my head kind of underlying things I think about myself. So Absolutely. I think it could be more about, um, you know, I felt really at work. I felt really hurt today when someone, you know, said something that wasn't very nice. And, you know, I was struggling with like how to deal with that. And then this is what I ended up doing. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of modeling like how do I, you know, we all experience like difficult feelings. It's hard for all of us and it's okay to talk about them. and, And we can model like how we cope with them. In, in ways, hopefully, that, you know, aren't, you know, because the thing we, in our culture, going back to the idea of weight, I mean, we do use food very maladaptively and in ways that, you know, kind of compensate for other ways of trying to deal with feeling. So I feel angry. I feel sad. You know, I, I go to food because it's it's effective and it's soothing. But yeah. Oh, even, that's me written all over it. Yeah. <laughs> and I think, I mean, that's something I think back when I was a kid, like, I I don't think I in you know struggled with binge eating and 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 weight and body image and all of that like it just it's really effective to numb our feelings with food mm-hmm. and if we're doing that chronically and repetitively then we're 
not only is that causing a problem, but we're never learning that there are potentially other ways, even more effective ways yeah. um, of feeling better. So what are the more effective ways? Yeah. So obviously so individual to a person, but I think I think it really starts with recognizing emotions because when we go so quickly from I feel distress um, or I feel upset to numbing that out, we never really even learn like – so many of us don't even have like a real like emotional vocabulary. Like we say like I feel good or I feel bad. Yeah. Um, but we don't know like all the variability in there. And so I think the first kind of piece of it is figuring out like what is it that I'm feeling? And then every feeling I teach people that every feeling is associated with a need state, you know, something that we that we need to do or an urge that we have to like address that feeling. So if we feel guilt, you know, our our need is to, uh, like, make amends mm-hmm. um, because we've done something wrong, for example. So, like, what the coping is, you know, eventually is getting to the point where we can, like, recognize what is it that I'm feeling and, like, what's actually going to make that better instead of just, like, covering it up or burying it. And then we end up feeling so much more effective. But sometimes before that, just because, like, our emotions are so high, like, we're totally stressed out we're totally overwhelmed I mean coming up with like our own kind of stress relievers um I think sometimes we talk a lot about like self-care as like you know taking a long bath or getting Mm -hmm. a massage or whatever and that can be self-care but it's also like stuff that we can do like in the moment to like bring our emotionality down it's like daily practices and like things that don't necessarily have to feel like indulgent or whatever but it'd be like oh I actually said no to a request today and that was what I needed to do to like bring my stress level down and be able to you know not feel so out of control where then maybe I my urge is to like turn to food to like you know feel more in control of myself So talking about parents having a conversation with kids about body image and kind of going in there, how do you get into that? But what if, you know, your kids don't ever open up to you? Like, I don't Mm -hmm. know. I mean, my mom never had that conversation with Mm -hmm. me. And even if she tried, I'm not sure if I ever would Mm -hmm. talk to her about it. So then what kind of is your solution then? Or how do you even know that they're dealing with those? Are there signs to look for of they might be dealing with this? And then if they don't talk to you, how do you find a solution? Yeah. Yeah, that's a great question. I think that in terms of signs, one of the things that is it might not be specific to they're struggling with body image or they're struggling with like eating issues or weight or those sorts of things, but but just mental health in general. I mean, we see social isolation as like the key kind of thing to watch for. So going back once again to, you know, we are, we're beings that are designed to be connected um, with other people. So when we're isolating ourselves or, you know, stopping doing things that we enjoy, that's, that's you know, a, a red flag that, like, something's not going well. Um, yeah. And we want to kind of intervene at that point. And, I mean, certainly any changes in, in eating behavior – I mean, a lot of kids and a lot of kids go through like periods of like, I'm cutting out meat or doing this particular thing with with how I eat. But I think that and a lot of times I think we kind of chalk that up to like, oh, this is a phase. This is what a lot of the kids at school are doing. But 
I would take that seriously, um, especially if it really feels like a change for your kid. You know, certainly if they're feeling down or more self-conscious about the way that they look, if they're refusing to like go places where, you know, to the pool over the summer. I mean, those could definitely be signs, obviously, that's, that something is up with how they're feeling about their, their bodies. And I think you're totally right that it's I mean, I think for most of us, it's never a comfortable conversation to talk about that. And so they might not be willing to really get into it. And sometimes the best thing that I think we can do is, again, model that it's okay to talk about like hard things within our our household so that they know that that's, that's like a welcome thing. But also to really, I mean, potentially if, if you're really if you're concerned, talking, connecting them with a, you know, a therapist, even as a place to start, if you notice that they connect to a neighbor or a, a certain teacher and encouraging them that it's OK if you don't want to share some of this with me, but I really hope that you're talking about it. And yeah. I hope that you, you know, you know that I support you in talking to someone and, and here's somebody that could be a really good listener for you mm-hmm. um, that's really interested. And I mean, I'm a huge therapy advocate, obviously. <laughs> and I think sometimes we like wait until things, you know, feel like they've gotten really bad and there's like really more severe issues going on before we kind of think about that as an option. But it is so helpful. I, I sometimes think about how we do so much. Um, well, we strive to do so much for like preventative healthcare with our physical health and we talk about like all the things that we need to do to help maintain our physical health on a daily basis and we go get our flu shot every year and all of those things but that we have to be doing the same things for our like mental and emotional health too Um, and so even if it doesn't seem like there's a major problem you know it's it could be really helpful just to check in with a therapist or you know, to start kind of journaling about your feelings and, you know, to really kind of take control of your mental health in a way that's more proactive. Well, I think that one of the things that holds people back from that, I mean, I'm just saying this as an adult, yeah. and I imagine same thing for kids. Well, I think probably two things. Yeah. One, price. Yep. <laughs> but then if you think if it's an investment in your health and it's right. going to make you better, I think that's such a good, good way to frame mm-hmm. that of like, yeah. you're not lighting money on fire, like right. <laughs> you're making things better. Right. Um, and two, I think, and this is, you know, an issue I have because I don't have a therapist of like, where do I even start? What do I mean? Mm-hmm. What do I do? Just Google therapist. And then like, you're going to get like <laughs> yeah. 10 pages of like, how do I know right. who's the person I feel comfortable with? And then, you know, do I have to go out of my way and then meet them? And then do I go twice and realize they're not my person? And right. then do I have to go search from somebody. It just seems like so overwhelming, overwhelming. that you don't even start mm-hmm. because you don't even know step one unless you know somebody who knows somebody sort of thing you know right right that's it's such a good and valid points you're making I mean yeah we obviously there could be a whole discussion about our broken mental health care system and you know the inaccessibility um, and there's tons of barriers to that which you know I want to really acknowledge I think when we're we're thinking about I mean even within school systems and for kids, even if there is a guidance counselor or, um, you know, therapy accessible through school, there can be all kinds of barriers to that, or it might be very short term um, and not really sort of fully address what the needs are. So that's definitely the case. I think that um, there are, there certainly are some options out there. um, And it's a, 
it's a complicated system, and I wish that it wasn't. Um, I think that, I mean, one thing you said about if I happen to know somebody, I think it kind of goes back to this stigma that we have about some of these issues. I do think if we were talking about them more, we discover how many people truly are, you know, connected to a therapist or struggling mm-hmm. with the same thing, and we might actually have more of an opportunity to hear about who's available, who's out there, and things like that if we were talking about it more. There yeah, that seems some, something adults hide away. If, if you yeah. if you see a therapist, you're, you know, and, and obviously broad stroke statement here. But yeah. of just like, I don't want anybody to know. They're going to be like, what's wrong with you? Right. And like, it's just this, which I feel like that is becoming less and less with a younger generation mm-hmm. of just like, no, yeah. you should talk to somebody. This is good for you. Right. But, you know, not everybody's going to behave that way. It's something that you right. want to hide about yourself because you think, that there's something wrong with you because that you have to talk to somebody. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that that's so true. And that's one of the things, um, like we were mentioning before that is really different about younger generations that they're much more willing to talk about it and be open about it and, um, seek it out, which is exciting. And it's, I, 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 I hope that our older generations like learn from that and sort of adopt that because I mean, yeah, we talk about like, oh, I have a meeting, an appointment. Like, we never even want to say, like, I'm going to see my therapist today. I wrote a blog post recently on, like, how to talk to your boss about, like, needing to take off time for therapy because we should be able to have that conversation just like if we had any other kind of um, doctor's doctor's appointment or need or whatever that we might need kind of an accommodation for. But we tend to still think about it so differently. And there are, there's some good kind of directories out there. Um, but again, just to acknowledge it in terms of like seeking out and finding a therapist. But what you said is is totally right. Like it can feel like a big investment to like make a first appointment and then share everything. Yeah. And what if it's not even the right fit? Or what if it, you know, they don't take my insurance or it doesn't work out in whatever way. I mean, it's a totally a vulnerable thing. There's some different things out there now that I think are are interesting and, uh, you know, not to endorse anything in particular because I think it totally depends on what the need is. But, I mean, I think in mental health we're trying to think about, like, how do we help people access services and care and support in new ways, whether that's through, um, like, online therapy or text therapy or, or different things like that just to make it more accessible. And for some people it's kind of a good, like, entree into like starting to talk to somebody if Mm -hmm. that's not something they've ever done before or going to like a support group so there are but we have a lot of work to do we have a ton of work to do in that realm so if somebody is connecting with you listening to this podcast and they feel like you're the right fit what's the best way to get a hold of you and are you accepting new patients (laughs) yeah yeah definitely um so the best way to get in touch with me is um probably through my website which is galliacollaborative.com and so it's g-a-l-i-a collaborative or actually on instagram which is at galliacollaborative and that's actually been a really cool way for me to kind of connect with people as a as a psychologist and to like share some of these messages out there especially with younger people so yeah i would i would love to hear from anybody who even just you know wanted to kind of talk more about some of these issues because they're they're hard there's yeah. not a lot of discussion out there yeah no, i i mean that's obviously why I'm doing this podcast is because I think it's super important and it is something that just even as an adult, 
you know, I can talk about this podcast about my binge eating and my body image and mm-hmm. losing weight and how I feel and having, you know, a distortion of how I look now compared to before and all these things. But it's not like I'm just turning to my coworker and be like, hey, right. let's chat about this. Right. <laughs> you know, it's right. just giving an opportunity to you know open a conversation to know that, you know, everybody we all isolate ourselves with these feelings and let them spin inside of us and tear us apart when if we all just kind of open the door a little bit and saw that we're all kind of dealing with this and having a discussion that we'd find some solutions at least at the very least feel better just for getting it out (laughs) right totally totally like like i i often say that these issues like can't survive in in the light, you know, they only thrive because we keep them very buried and hidden and dark. And so I, I mean, thank you so much for having this conversation, especially with young people where there's just such this amazing potential to change the conversation for a lifetime. Well, and thank you so much for being a part of it. I appreciate you, you listening and and giving me your thoughts and come and giving some advice and you're welcome back at any time. Yeah, I'd love to. Thank you. I wanted to add that Dr. Solomon also gave a printout of some things that are helpful tips. If you want to keep the conversation going, you can find that at poundthis.com and just look under articles. For info on health coaching and more, go to amandavalentinebites.com.